Hello, this is the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. I am your host. Today we have a Friday interview episode with David Megida. We will bring back the HHMC next week. That's a promise. But this week, it's a good one. David Megida is a founding member of the Spartan Pro Team. He's also the founder of Elevate Interval Fitness in Washington, D.C., where there are two locations. And he's also the what I guess we'd call the play-by-play commentator for the Spartan Race U.S. National Series that gets broadcasts. Um, so he was on all the races in 2019, so you might recognize the voice. So for the first 12 minutes or so, we talk about breakfast cereals, we talk about recovery habits, and we talk about some of the behind-the-scenes insights on the difficulty of being that Spartan commentator. Then we get into the goods. We talk about the perils of being a gym owner while reopening from COVID, and we also talk about some of the lessons that uh, David has learned while growing his fitness business. We talk about why you should not let your running volume drop ever. Well, not ever, but like, you know what I mean? And how he has shifted his goals into longer road races and how to make that fit into training. So David is a very charismatic and honest guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. There's a ton of lessons to learn from his experience. So I think you will like it very much. And just a quick reminder that we are still taking applicants for the training plan audit. So this is your chance to ask us specifically about your training and some of the ways that you can improve and we will give you real advice based off of your experience. Uh, we've had several great applicants reach out and uh, spend some time talking to them and giving them some advice. And then we'll talk about it on the podcast in the next weeks to come. And again, this is completely free. It's just a way to say thank you uh, to you, the listener, just from for tuning in. So if that's interested to you, the link in the show notes right below. Great. David Magida. David Magida is here. David, what's up, dude? Oh, Rich, thanks for having me, man. Of course. Yeah, don't do a big long intro. We're just here. We're now we're talking. We were talking, and now we're still talking. Okay. You want me to talk about me? Is that what we're so, doing? We're gonna we're gonna get into it. But first, I have a couple <laughs> questions for you. Just uh, some random questions. We call it the report round. Um, so first one: What is your favorite breakfast cereal? Yeah. Um, I would say. I, this is complicated because I have like my go-to, like if I need to just have a full cereal before I go running and I have like my go-to, like I was a little kid and I love this stuff. Like, you know, like cinnamon toast crunch was like the bomb when you know, I was a kid. It was the one that like you could beg your mom to buy it for you and she wouldn't. And then like one day, like randomly out of every like six months, you'd come home and there'd be like a, there'd be a box of it in the, in the closet, in the pantry. That was my go-to. My, but she always bought me Golden Grams. She thought I loved those for some reason. They, you know, they kind of look the same. Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Golden Grams. I could see how you could visually mistake the two by the how. One is a ten out of ten, and the other one is like a six and a half. You know, yeah. Golden Grams. I wasn't that. I would never reach for Golden Grams. Cinnamon Toast Crunch was a staple in the pantry, and that's a good qualifier actually because there's a difference between the cereal that you've eaten the most and the one that like you have the most affinity toward. Yeah, because like but, other than that, like Raisin Bran Crunch and honey nut cheerios and toasted oatmeal squares those are like the my like go-to cereals like for like i'm gonna have a bowl of this you know an hour before i run right just something quick quick carbs get in there and you're you're ready to not go. gonna upset me too much you know that's how it was when food companies were pushing cereal as like health food i thought special <laughs> special k was like healthy i was like so i ate special k all the time the like yogurt and berries one is really oh, yeah. solid it's I was going to ask dry. you if it was the yogurt, if it was the berries one, or if it was just like the plain. Man, the plain okay. plain doesn't do it. Yeah, the yogurt and berry, like they had the strawberry one, but they were like those weird fr- freeze dried strawberries that weren't that great with milk. 
but with the yogurt crunches and the and the berry ones, that's that's my go-to. My stance is if the cereal needs you to add fruit to it to make it good, then it isn't good cereal. And if I was going to have fruit with my breakfast, I would just make a, a, a bowl of fruit or a fruit smoothie. So like what, where are we going with this? It's a good way to live. It's a good, good solid motto to live by. Because yeah, if Wheaties, when they came out, they were I wanted Wheaties to be something that I actually enjoyed because supposedly Horrible. if you eat those, they make you a good athlete. Michael Jordan ate them. Yeah, but the, the, they taste so. <laughs> yeah, they paid him to say so. But uh, but yeah, you had to put bananas on there. Like I would like sprinkle sugar on there just to make it palatable when I was like a little kid. Aren't but, Wheaties just raisin brand without the raisins? I think so. And those raisins, if you pick those up and you look at them, they are just they're like sugar and sugar. Yeah, yeah they're, <laughs> they're not regular raisins. Um, solid, solid answer. Uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I think that that's a good, a, a really good. No one's going to argue with that. It's, it's hard to. So next question is, what is the biggest challenge of broadcasting a Spartan race that the viewing public might not foresee? Um, Well, a lot of this depends on the format, okay, because we have so many. Um, The one format I would say that's probably the hardest is the live format, pure live, because we have live to tape, which is like it looks like it's a live product, but we actually film it all, edit it all together, and then record it all in one take in the studio after. We're in a studio. It's like... It's like a bunch of folding tables with computers on them. Uh, and, um, and then we have the tape delay episodes, which are like the ones you see on like NBC and ESPN, where they're like six weeks of editing, and then I'm laying audio tracks on them separately. This is all done very differently. Um, in those ones where I'm like sideline reporting, the challenge was like, all right, we literally jump in an ATV and like race to a spot, and I got to jump out, and I get one take to get it right. Like the live ones – the challenge, honestly, the biggest challenge, and you can ask like someone like Bracken, who's done these with me, for example, is like you have to sit there for like four hours and not pee, and you've got to pee so bad. <laughs> you're like trying to give good commentary, but you got to go to the bathroom so badly. Um, and then because you literally, you're like you don't have a single instant to get up and go, or if you do, they're like we're gonna go to a package. You have 27 seconds, and you're like you're like just peeing off the side of the tent because you know you just literally have no time. Does that change your eating and hydration strategy where you're like, okay, I have to do this commentating tomorrow. I'm not going to drink starting at like 6 p.m. and just let it go? Or or is eating has to be a struggle too, right? You know, I mean, the thing is, you don't, you know, you don't want anything in your teeth. But like the, the reality is usually I'm going to do the commentary. If it was alive, I would do the commentary as soon as I'm done. We're talking like 11 a.m. I'm jumping on the course and running the course. So I have mm. to be hydrated. Like, you know, like we, we did – Bracken and I did Palmerton. And then immediately ran the course. If I wasn't drinking water before that, I would have died out there. It's like yeah. 97 degrees at noon, noon in Palmerton. It's like 97 degrees, climbing mountains. Like you got to be ready for it. So, so no, we're not, we're not letting that impact hydration. You got to stay hydrated. Yeah. You just have to, to push that signal aside. When that signal hits your brain about you have to pee, you got to be tougher than that. You just got to push through it. Well, it's like, it's almost the opposite of like, you know, when you're running and you have to pee and you like are telling yourself, just go. Just go, like let it happen while you're still running, and your brain, your body's like, no, nah, I don't want to, but your brain keeps telling it to. It's like it doesn't seem right. Mm, that's yeah. good. So that is that's the excellent answer. The, the I wouldn't have thought. I was like, man, Magita sounds like he really has to pee right now, but I've never <laughs> thought that. So you do a good job keeping that all it, locked. Hold up. it together. Yeah. Holding it together. Um, so what is a habit that you've developed over the past year or so that has been like a game changer, like day to day? Ooh, this is a good question. Um, I would say the 
best habit that I've developed is um, I am using uh, these Firefly uh, recovery tools on mm-hmm. my. You put them. You put them right below the knee um, on the outside of your your lower. Well, on the upper end of the outside of your lower leg, right. and uh, you haven't seen these before. They wrap. They're called Firefly. Firefly, yeah, recovery huh. tools, um, and they wrap around your the back of your calf basically, and they stimulate uh, the nerve right below the knee, and it and it causes blood to pump through the lower leg and through the foot, and then back up, and without actually stimulating the muscle, but just rather the nerve, so you're not mm-hmm. super sore when you take them off. So it's like doing stim, but it's different. Um, and these have helped me so much because I used to struggle with calf injuries and and soleus injuries all the time. And I had a couple of years ago when I made a little bit of a comeback, I had like eight calf pulls that year. And I've, I've been knock on wood, like totally, totally healthy in my calves. I use them every day. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. And I've, I've just recently started to implement like nerve glides into my mobility routine, which essentially I'm guessing is the same thing. So it's, you kind of bypass the, the muscle belly and you're, you're just trying to, to stimulate that nerve to essentially mitigate warning signals and pain signals to your brain and they work so well. So it kind of sounds like it's in that same vein of just um, maybe not always focusing just on muscle and using the nerve. What did you hear about? I haven't seen these. So Mark Adet actually uh, gave me my first pair and then uh, I got in contact with uh, Anthony, the guy who makes these. And uh, I mean, they they work with a lot of professional athletes now, but he's really supportive of the athletic community. Um, He started with them as medical devices. So they were for people that were like post-op Achilles surgery. Hmm. They needed a way to pump more blood to that area without like overdoing the muscle. So they figured out the solution and, and these, they were accelerating. I don't, I don't want to get misquote the exact numbers, but they were rapidly accelerating recovery for Achilles injuries. Galen Rupp uses these like every day, hmm. for example. And you know, he is, so he's had Achilles issues. And is it just localized for the lower leg or if you have like, a, could you wrap it somehow on like your elbow? If you do have, you or, might be able to figure out a way to, but these are specifically, specifically for lower legs. For that. Yeah. It's amazing. Huh. Very cool. I'll have to check that out. Cause that, that, that sounds like it is something that would be really helpful. Um, great firefly. So you wrote a book on obstacle course racing. <laughs> yeah. What was that process? Yeah, like? Did. Uh, the process was that was actually the, 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 I was told that I was going to be able to write the book, um, in 2013, early 2014. Um, and the plan was to write it then. As I was preparing to launch uh, my fitness studio, Elevate Interval Fitness, and then as fate would have it, by the time all the agreements were worked out and the planning phases were done, uh, I started writing the book in October of 2014, the exact same month we opened the gym. Mm -hmm. So I was swimming in, you know, literally like 100 hours a week of work with the studio, doing everything, running the studio, um, coaching or being there for all of the classes all day doing my own cleaning, all that stuff, marketing, hiring, training, and then also uh, trying to squeeze in time to write these books. And you know, the way books are written, it's, it's, you have to constantly hit deadlines. Like we need chapters one through three by this date. And you hit that deadline. They're okay. We need chapters four through six by this date. And you keep on working your way through it. Um, So I would say I felt very rushed. I did not get Every last drop of what I wanted out of it, but actually, it's amazing. You know, I'm one of those people that works really, really well under pressure. Pressure is mm. like always good. I was always that last minute studier for exams and stuff. So, and for writing papers. So, 
Um, I actually really enjoyed the process a lot. I would love to have the time to do a re-release, like updated version of the book with things that I've learned since then, because that was 2014 and now it's 2020. Yeah. And yeah, and I've learned. I've yeah. learned a lot. You know. And that, that's something we'll definitely get into on the on the podcast, hopefully. But the did I'm curious about that. I don't know anything about how books are published, but do you, I know there is a such thing as an advance. So did you work with someone in that case or did you just kind of like independently team up with somebody and be like, all right, we're going to put this out and see how it does. Or was it that like traditional model of here's your money based on the concept that you have, we need that by, we need this by this date. Uh, Yeah. I negotiated uh, with my publisher. So um, essentially human kinetics and they're a, they're a very well-known, well-respected publisher of like exercise and sports science books. That's what they do. Um, they came to me, a woman who's like their acquisitions director, uh, Michelle Maloney, reached out to me. And I had met her at a, a obstacle racing conference uh, previously in Atlanta a, a few months prior. Hmm. And she said, hey, uh, you know, we need someone with the, the know-how and the writing ability to put together a book for us. And, you know, we think that, that you're the right guy for that. So uh, we just kind of started getting into the negotiations. I did get in it a small, very small advance. And then uh, I get a small percentage of the sales, which is not much. Nobody gets ripped off these things, man. If you're not a New York Times bestseller, good luck. Um, but I did receive literally two weeks ago a copy of my book arrived in the mail in German. They just published it in German. So every time they get a new language, you get a new copy. Uh, so... I'm going to soon, I'm going to have like this huge array of, of books written by me in all these languages. That's going to be really fun. Yeah, that's something you could also just proclaim, like author of a book published in 20 languages. And you can say like, I wrote the fucking book on this. Do you say that to people? You're like, yeah, no, I wrote the book on OCR. I really need to do this. I don't even sell it at my gym. I'm like, I, I, I'm not really like that person who like, I, I kind of, I don't, I like attention, but I don't like self-endorse like as much as I should. Yeah, I don't yeah, do yeah. Sell my own book out of the studio and really whore my gym like out on like things like this, but I, but I will, I will promote it a little bit. It's, it's definitely hard that like self-promotion, there's like a glass ceiling that you kind of put on, on yourself. I find the same thing. You know, it's like, I don't always, I'm like, I'm not selling enough if I was, was to push forward and you see other people who are just constantly doing it. And it's just like volume shooting, right? It's like, I'm going to put this much effort in to get this little bit of results, but I'm, I'm the same way, man. It's like, if it's good, people will find it. And if it's not, they won't kind of, I wish life was that way. I know. Like, you're describing. like, 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 Oh, if it's, if it's quality, if you have good quality, like you're going to succeed, but that's not how like life works. It's actually like, are you a self aggrandizing, like (laughs) absolute attention whore? Like you're like, you're going to do much better. Like are you taking tons of professional photos of yourself and blasting them out everywhere? Like that's actually the way to get people's attention these days, which is really sad. Which is definitely sad. And that's definitely a byproduct of like Instagram fame and get letting having these quick quips of your life and having it be extremely curated where on platforms like this, like you can't hide from actually who you are, but on Instagram or social media, you can have everything curated and have it right there and have it presented Mm -hmm. exactly how you want it to be. Whereas like if you have good content, if you have a a good book, if you have a good gym, but you're not doing all those things, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's hard to get to that level. And I'm sure there is people who are 
the combination of both. But uh, have you is that stuff you stuff you work on, or is that constantly in your mind? Is like okay, I should probably push myself to promote harder, or is that yeah, just actually, I, I have to, I really have to do that like all the time. Like I, I have to set like alarms and like reminders for myself to be like, okay, like you should put an Instagram post up now. Like I like I really just don't really care about it. And it's like some, I'll just take some old like generic race photo or something and <laughs> yeah. put something underneath it. But um, I don't like have like a, it's like an agenda on social media. And um, as far as uh, like with the business, it's the same thing. Like I have to put reminders in my calendar, like, okay, like uh, you're going to assemble like new ad campaigns, new marketing campaigns. And we're going to shoot a new video. Like, like I, I don't like, I just like going and training people. Like I just like, I like working out. I like training. I like programming like i like these things racing that like that's what i'm into and and we have a lot of people that are like they don't care about the glitz and the glam they don't care about all that stuff they just want to come and train but there are people out there that if they only knew that they're looking at the wrong things they're approaching fitness from like the like how flashy can it be and like how awesome do you look in this picture like if they just if they just cast that aside and really focused on what mattered they would they would be so much more satisfied they would, lo- they would fall in love with the process, but that's a hard thing to teach people. And it's, it's not, it's a hard conversation too, to have with them. It's like, okay, well, the, the con- concept that you have of what fitness is, it needs to be almost undone. And I'm sure this happens when they come into your gym quite a bit, right? They have, they might have an idea of what they want themselves to look and feel like and present you and in and, and a timeline in on their head. So like, what is that like when people first come into your studio, are these conversations that you're having with them or what's that first process? Like, what do you just kind of put them through a workout and be like, this is what we do. It's going to be fun. You're going to get good results. Or is there that kind of like expectation kind of set for them? There's, I mean, it's a mix. I mean, you know, I think everyone is so unique that they need, they have different needs. Like some people come in and they're like, you know, I'm a runner or I'm this, I'm, I play soccer or I do whatever. And they're like, I'm trying to get fit. Like I need real true athletic fitness. And I'm like, mm. cool. Like here's the program. These are the different programs that we offer and kind of just plug them in. Here's a first free class. And now you can do a trial, try a few of these different things. And then I'll talk to you about how we can work this into your training. Um, on the other hand, I have other people that, that they're like, okay, a friend told me to try this place, but I am terrified. And they look at it from the perspective of like, I'm not going to be fast enough. I'm not going to be strong enough. I'm going to, everyone's going to be like judging me. And you have to kind of show them like, listen, like this is how it is in the beginning. Like, yeah, it's okay to be the least knowledgeable, the slowest, in the beginning and you're going to feel that way, but nobody's going to really even notice that the only thing that people are going to notice is your effort levels. Like they're either trying or you're not. And if you're not trying and you're like partnered up with someone for a workout or something like that, people are not going to appreciate that. If you're not, if you're not as good as the person you're partnered up with, as long as you're trying, they're happy. Like everyone just wants to feel the energy of the other people around them and know that you're going for it. You're working hard. We're all here for a reason. And, and I like, I literally like yelled this over a mic today. I was like, I think I was, I, I was turning to someone and I said, I said, listen, like you really should be doing more than you're doing today. And I said, and so I said, um, I think I said, meh workouts lead to meh results. So I think it's, it's one of those things like for me, it's about just driving home to people that like, there is a time and a place to take it easy, but this is not it. 
Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's what they're there for, right? Is to put that effort in with the people that are that do surround them. And and with your gym, it's you have two locations, right? Down in in DC proper. Yes, sir. Yeah. Nice. And would you say it's obstacle course race inspired? Because some from the branding, it doesn't necessarily look like it's a Spartan race gym or like, oh, yeah. even yeah. like a CrossFit we, gym. You know, we are inspired by by uh, OCR for sure. Um, when I first launched the program, it what happened was I was coaching people individually and then group coaching people to train for Spartan races. And then mm-hmm. I wanted to open a studio and I was like, I don't know that like putting all my chips in or all my eggs in this basket for just obstacle racing makes any sense. <laughs> so let me take some of that training and let's let's bottle it. Let's add some more general fitness to it as well. And let's make it more for general population. And then I have some specialization classes that are really good. Like I have an endurance class that is, you know, like I, I covered eight miles in that class the other day. Mm. Like it's really good volume and it's aerobic threshold work and then it's and lactate threshold. And then we'll do some hill repeats and we might do some compromised running and then we'll end with pure speed work. So it kind of feels like a race. Like when you start a race and you're running and you're like, all right, the first thing that happens is I feel my heart and my lungs start to kick in and you, you know, and then as you're going, all right, now I'm settled into halfway into the race and my legs are starting to get heavy and they're burning a little bit and I'm powering through that section. And now, okay, we're closing in on the end of the race and now it's about that kick home. So it, it kind of has that feel to it and, and it will expose a weakness in your, in your fitness from that perspective at some point in that program. Um, like I know if I'm running that class with Mark, like I know he's going to absolutely bury me in the aerobic threshold portion of that class. And then I'm going to absolutely drop the hammer on him when it comes to the speed at the end. So um, it all kind of comes out to we, we end up running about the same distance by the end of that class. Um, but uh, I have like different programs. Like I have a pure strength program where you're just, you know, it's a lot of, it's almost like a, a our take on German volume training and mm. supersetting for an hour. It's, I mean, you're massacred afterwards. Um, and so there's, there's a few different things. And we were running, you know, and, and then we started, we were like, okay, no, we need, we need to add more mobility and stuff to what we're doing. So we added a vinyasa program and a yin yoga program. So, so there's a whole range of things. And right now we had to scale some of that back because of COVID and uh, just trying to run lean for a little bit, but, but um, that, that's something that we're interested in, like like rounding out people's fitness, making you kind of bulletproof and injury proof, and then not just making you know soft scrawny little runners or big old meatheads, but really bringing about general fitness that is needed to be like an obstacle racer. In my opinion, is that's the best athlete in the world. Like you know you have to be you have to be really really high level as a runner, and then also be incredibly strong. Have great landing mechanics and, and explosiveness and, and put it all together. So we try and train all those elements. And that I like that you have that approach where people can take it when they find it to be necessary. And I was thinking that if I was to have my own like OCR class, like it would probably just be a running class, like how you had mentioned, but yeah. most, most studio fitness based classes, they're, they're formulaic, right? Like a, like a berries type of class is oh, kind of yeah. what it looks like, right? Like yeah. you run some, you do some, you do some weights, but essentially it's cardio anyway. Then you do some more cardio and you do some more cardio and that's, <laughs> and, and you're just kind of there and you get the sweat and then you're out of there. But so was that something that you came into this as a need for in this space is like, we need to actually get people like a level of performance that they wouldn't lack if they went to 
Orange Theory, just throwing out names. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, definitely. I, I, I mean, listen, there's some things that I borrowed from those guys. Like they have some, they, they did a good job with their room layout, and they mm-hmm. understand the average person wants to run a little bit, lift a little bit. So I have, a, I have a class that does those elements that you are running or rowing for your aerobic capacity work for half that class, and then you're doing some strength work. The difference is, you know, we do a lot more stuff with intervals and top of the minutes and and partner workouts and. We'll throw some chippers at you. We'll throw um, I go you goes at you, where you can go a lot heavier. Um, we're, we're we're definitely encouraging a lot more of that, and then the run work is much more sophisticated. Um, so, yeah, and that's the, and like taking your background in endurance and, and implementing it into a, a group fitness class is something that not a lot of gyms are offering to get that high level endurance. So I think that's a really cool added element. So, like I talked to some gym owners like right when COVID was, was kicking off. Right. And we didn't really know what we were in store for. I mean, I'm sure some people could foresee how bad it was going to be, but I think a lot of times people were being mostly optimistic, right? It's like, okay, we're going to hunker down. We're going to do what we need to do. We're going to, we're going to flatten this curve and then we're going to open again. <laughs> and uh, so that, that kind of happened. And we're, you're, we're kind of getting into that space now in time where, some gyms are open and you're just kind of getting into that process, right. Of bringing people back into an inside space. Yeah. So, so when, when COVID really started spreading, uh, on the 16th of March, uh, DC shut down like everything. I actually sent an email out to my members on the 15th and said, guys, uh, I don't believe that I can in good faith, encourage people to come into the studio or even allow people to come into the studio um, and say that I am like a leader in health and wellness mm-hmm. and bring you guys in here and put you at risk. So I shut down and then 24 hours later, DC announced that they were shutting everything down. Um, so we kind of saw the writing on the wall. It was, mm-hmm. it was like very obvious it was about to happen. And then, so the 15th that happened on the 16th, before DC had even shut everything down, I had already released to our members our first digital programming day. And so we, we had already purchased some, some uh, equipment, some lighting kits, some you know, audio equipment. And obviously, we then had to replace it all because it was all garbage, the stuff we bought the first time. And we have evolved and evolved and evolved. But um, essentially, I'm doing it all with one camera angle, single shot, like, boom, here's your workout. But we do the entire thing with you. And so we, we led in with this, with our elevated home program, which I had up on the website, literally like the day we closed. And that's, uh, that's like unbelievable. Like, was that something that you were not, not unbelievable? Like it's because there was those Peloton classes that were kicking, that were starting to get people in that live class, but from home. So yeah. I, I feel like there were gyms like thinking about like how they could implement that, but just where their bandwidth was, was that where your head was? Or were you like, this might screw everything up. So we need to be on top of it. Or uh, were really you- honestly that because that's, that's, that's I was amazing. under the impression. Like I was like, this is, we, we had a meeting with our team about a week before it all went down. And I was like, guys, I have this feeling that everything's going to get shut down. It's going to get shut down for a while. Like it's going to wow. mess stuff up. And so we, I had, uh, all of my head coaches that kind of helped me with programming and stuff, they all started working on programming for just like pure body weight stuff immediately. And we started releasing a daily workout every single day for the entire shutdown for three months. Every single day, there was a body weight workout that would hit our members' email boxes. And then some days we'd also have a yoga workout, a yin and a vinyasa went out 
one of each each week. And then I would send out a bonus like dumbbell or kettlebell workout for people to do if they had equipment. And then we were sending running workouts out to people. So all of that was happening every day, the whole time we were shut down. And we were recording way ahead. So now we've, we've already sent out to our members like 100. We, we, we filmed over 150 workouts, uh, just the body weight ones. Then we started doing live workouts. So we were doing live either body weight or live with weights or my strength program. Um, and then they allowed us finally after about three months-ish, they let us start doing outdoor workouts with like mm-hmm. up to nine people. So we started running a bunch of outdoor programming. So now I'm writing, you know, boot camps for the park. And, you know, they, they had, we had originally, we were doing outdoor running workouts too, but they shut that down. So we, we recently brought that back to an outdoor, essentially endurance program. So we'll mm-hmm. do track, you know, so I, I taught it this morning actually, and I, I ran it with the class. So I'm nice. running it too. And we're doing, uh, we're, we're running, today we were running like 1200, 1200s on 90 second recoveries. And then, uh, after we did a bunch of those, we did some compromise run work with, uh, sets of 40 either like lunges or single leg step ups or jump squats with quarter miles in between and, and did a timed mile that way. And then we ended with some speed. We did run some 200s. So, um, it still kind of feels like that endurance class that we, yeah. we take before. And, um, and I'm just introducing to a lot of these people that have never done a track workout before. Like, this is how it works. Like, this is how you start to kind of feel for your pacing and here's how you check your splits and here's, you know, eh, here's how, you know, you should be feeling perceived exertion and, and, and just kind of getting people comfortable with like, this is how it goes. And like, you're going to run a ton of volume and like, and this is good for you. And that's important for people to feel that. Um, and especially on a track and, and, and that, where that pacing is and being outdoors, right? Like being outdoors and, and figuring out what that feedback from the ground is like, it's just a different way to pace where on the, the treadmill, you can just kind of turn everything off. But yeah. when you're out, outside, it's a constant check and recheck um and just an aside do people wear their gps watches and follow the distance on the gps as opposed to the track during your track workouts because this uh, is listen man i wear my gps watch but i follow the distance on the track so i come through and i run a 1200 and it says you ran like 0.73 and i'm like oh like i'm so like <laughs> right <laughs> but the track is the track is still the track. People are like will stop just like a hundred meters short from like what a mile. Come yeah, on, like, I, don't this, I don't think this track is right. It's like I'm willing to guess. I'm willing to bet that the, the track is accurate over, over the over And the I watch. actually train on I have this weird track. I train on this, it's like a square. It's like a square with rounded corners. The hard and the hard turn. Yeah. It's the hard <laughs> turns and never a long straightaway, right? But like, so I'm like, God, it must be two or three seconds slow per lap because you're mm. just like, you're losing. You don't, you can't work the turns. You're like turning too sharp to work the turns and the straightaways aren't long enough. So it's a weird track. Is that a public but, track? Uh, what's that? You got a public track down there in DC? This is the public one. The, the other ones are all for schools and they've shut yeah. them all down. You can't yeah. get into them, most of the other tracks. So, so I've got this one and we go to it and we hammer and then they've got like a little stone bleacher thing. So we run stairs and do all kinds of stuff there. It, it, I like it. You know, usually there's some dudes like sleeping on the bleachers and you got to kind of work around them, but it's better to go in a group. It's yeah. It's fun. better. For yeah. Group. It's all fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. So you even asked me about indoor. So we are back to indoor classes. Now we're running out. Here's the complex, the complexity of the situation is you have a lot of people who are clamoring to get back in the gym. And mm-hmm. those people are stoked. They're like, yes, we're, look, the gym's open again, but I'm only allowed to open on 50% capacity. 
And then you also have a number of people that are like, listen, like I will train outside, but I won't go indoors around all these other people. So I'm like, okay, so I got the indoor people. I got programming for these guys and coaches covering these classes. I got to also have outdoor classes and I got to have enough to accommodate all these people who want to go and train outside. And you have other people who are like, listen, I just don't feel comfortable coming in yet at all, but I want to keep supporting the gym. So they're like still paying their memberships, but you got to give them an offering. So I'm still producing on-demand workouts that I'm sending them a few days a week. And we're still sending, uh, we're still doing live digital workouts, like virtually streaming uh, for those people. And then you have other people who are just like, I'm, I'm, I'm not in it. Then we had DC introduced a new mask rule. So now you have to, in addition to being 10 feet apart in the gym, you have to wear a mask now, the whole class. Yeah. Same, well, same run in Philly. Running on a treadmill is really hard in a mask. And it's not impossible. I'm doing it multiple days a week and I'm managing. You know, I would say big secret here for me has been the surgical mask where you can bend the nose right around your frame of your nose, keeps it off your mouth a little bit. Mm. Really, really helpful. But a lot of my people that were not comfortable coming into the gym before, like, well, everyone's wearing a mask, so I'll come in. And other people who are like coming into the gym before, they're like, well, now I can't breathe in this mask, so I'm going outside. So this keeps like, it just keeps changing who's where. And, and all I know is that I am producing like triple the programming I was ever writing before and trying to just make everybody happy and trying to keep the business essentially financially viable right now, which is all we really can ask. Do you foresee that you're going to keep, I mean, the digital stuff, I would imagine you can kind of store that in the library now and, and offer that out as like one-time purchases or even like a recurring membership to just head things on. Like, So do you feel like there are going to be ways that you can continue to profit from this later down the road just by yeah. – essentially elevating, no pun, elevating the brand and people can then uh, take that wherever they want. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, when we first shut down, we turned to our members and we were like, listen, this is the truth. This is where we're at financially and we need your support. If you are capable of continuing to pay your dues through this, please, like, we love you. We we are grateful and we'll make it up to you. Um, and, we, and we're doing that. Mm. Uh, if you can't, here's another option. We have this digital program. It's just on-demand workouts, but it's $59 a month. And if you can pay for that, awesome. We're also selling these live streaming classes and you can buy a 10-pack of those or whatever. Um, and then if you can't, like we'll suspend you, your membership, like don't stress. Mo most of our members were like, we got you, like we're here for you. Yeah. Um, but we're still selling the digital subscriptions. And um, there's now a new program with ClassPass where you can – uh, upload your workouts there and then they pay you based on the number of minutes people stream your content. So, huh. um, so we're nice. working, I'm actually working on that this week, getting all, getting some videos uploaded because I have so many. Um, and you can just like upload a playlist to go with it and they can just listen to your playlist while they do it. And then, cause I'm not putting music in the videos cause obviously then I have to pay for the rights to the music. That's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Um, wow. That's cool. Class pass came, came through like that. I guess they would have to pivot. They probably got hurt really bad from this as they well. Did. And listen, they're taking thirty percent of the take on these memberships, so you know it is. But it is what it is. You, they have a global brand, and um, if we can find ways to to draw some some revenue, we have to take it. Um, Absolutely, you know, and not so. and not like develop something from the ground up because I'm sure this is a lot. What this was is just like you had all your systems in place, and now you had to completely scrap them and make brand new systems for all this new stuff that like didn't exist before. Um, the first month, the first month was like horrific. I feel like I didn't sleep like at all. Like all I was doing was 
was editing website and filming and then learning how to video edit this stuff to like, like as quickly as I could, like consistently and then finding a platform to put it up onto and then negotiating with other platforms to be like, can, can we do it with you guys? But like Vimeo was just way too expensive. They were trying to just charge what, you know, we ended up going with YouTube because we could do it for free. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and that's the thing is like, you can't necessarily outsource stuff in, in times where you don't know what the financial situation is going to be. So you're not like paying for some sort of developer to come in and do all the work. It's like, well, I got to, keep this lean right now. That's it. We had to do it all ourselves. So uh, listen, man, it's been a scary time. It's still a scary time for small business in America. I'm, I'm really counting on uh, the federal government to figure something out where they do some kind of large scale bailout for the service industry. And that includes restaurants, bars, um, places like hair salons, gyms. They're going to need a bailout. Like it's a problem what we have going on right now. Yeah, the gyms, especially in, in Philadelphia area, they kind of got hit the worst, right? Like they were like the last place to open and they were just like the afterthought of everything. And I, and I can imagine because you never know what someone's financial like conditions are. So it definitely went out. My thoughts went out to them. And there was a gym that I was working at before I was just like full time online that closed down. If I was working there a year ago, it would just been like out of luck. So I'm sure a lot of that is happening. Um, but now oh, with yeah. – yeah, I mean, that's hard. I mean, you look at like, I employ like 35 people and mm. um, we made the active decision that, that you know, and this is, this is you know, my dad was a business owner my whole childhood. Um, you know, we talked things over and, you know, he's always said like your responsibility when you're a, an employer is your people. You have to take care of your people like no matter what. So we paid all of our staff the same that we would always pay them through the entire thing. Wow. Wow, it's fortunate for you to be able to do that. Well, it was not easy, but <laughs> it's made easier by the fact that our members are aware of that and that they have been participatory in helping us make that happen. Mm-hmm. And people can see that they can sense that from a business when it's like they're doing the thing, the right things, the things that like because you could have just had everybody collect unemployment, right? Be like, hey, we're you're off now. We'll we'll bring you back when it's time, which a lot of gyms did do. But so but people, especially when there's a tight knit community like what you have, people will sense that, right? And they'll know that you're doing right by their their coaches and their instructors who they love. So ultimately, it will act in your favor just by doing the appropriate thing that you would consider like quote unquote like right thing. Well, that's the thing. In the beginning, you know, we had a, a reaction, a negative reaction from a lot of people for obvious reasons. Like one, you closed before, like you were even told to close. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. And then other people. Um, you know, why should I pay you? And then as time went on and they realized this wasn't a two week thing, this was a, you know, month after month after month thing. They were like, listen, like they, they started to see other businesses going under. And, and then we started getting emails from people that were just like, listen, like I, uh, I just thought about this and when everything is done and we go back to normal, like I need elevate to be there. And mm. so they're just like, just, just keep charging me. It's okay. So, Sweet. you know, not everybody did that. But the ones who did are the ones that kept us here. That's why we're mm-hmm. here. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm of course. Obviously, not everyone's going to have the means to to hang on. But the no, ones that, that, that can, like, that's good. That and that's just a, a testament to the product up front. 
right? Like focusing on the product, making sure everyone's getting the best experience that they can. And that's something that they're going to like. Whereas like a, a Globo gym, people are going to cancel those, right? People, if they don't feel like an affinity toward them, like they're out. It's all about community. I mean, that's the thing. And so we, we spent the last six years building a community, building relationships with people. You know, people come in, I know the name of their dog, you know, like it's <laughs> yeah. like, it's one of those things where you, you have those connections with people and then it is a family. And that, that goes a long way. And where we see that in DC, you see that even with people that like just have restaurants they like to go to, they feel really connected to it. So I think it's, it's, you're seeing Americans really rallying around um, the, their local small businesses in a really special way, you know, and I hope my hope is we start a revolution, which is like anti-corporation in every way. And it's just everybody only buys local, only supports local. You just ignore all those other big corporations. And I know people are going to come at me and say, what about franchise owners? Um, Another argument, another time. Another time on that one. But so, but right, like you've built this community, you've built these gyms, you have two locations in a, in a, a metro area that is not cheap. Not no, cheap to no, have things where you, where you are. So there's definitely something there, and having the 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 members stand by and still want elevate to be there when it's when it's time again. Like so, you're doing something right in that in that sense. And I know there are some gym owners who listen to this, or some aspiring gym owners. So like, and back when things were like normal, quote unquote, what what do you would you look back and kind of what kind of piece of advice would you give to somebody? who want to, wants to start something like what you have, like, where would they start? Like, what did you do that you would go back and be like, Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Like scrap that. Like what mistakes can they learn from? Um, man, there's so many, I made so many mistakes. Honestly, the biggest mistake I made was I found success very, very quickly with our first location and we blew up. We were this, we, we like, we're so popular like immediately. And I was like, man, like I can't even like, I couldn't even get enough coaches in time, like to meet the demand. And like, it was like, it was insane. I was like, I was like, we should have gotten a bigger space. Like, this is crazy. Why didn't we not get a bigger space? And then I was like, we got to ride this wave guys. Let's open another location. And so we went and rolled out a second location. We were supposed to put it in DC, like three miles from where we were. Um, but that, lease negotiation fell through and the same landlord was like, I got this other space in Virginia. Come take this. It was disconnected too far away, not enough foot traffic. And it just never could, I never really got the, the, the volume of people in there that I needed. I wasn't able to develop the culture that I wanted to develop there. And uh, we ended up closing it and relocating it back into another location in DC. And so my biggest piece of advice would be um, you should be aiming for, running one place incredibly well and putting your passion and your love into that, then trying to grow like into some big company because you know, the reality is it's, it's just twice as hard to maintain culture, to develop community, to keep an eye on everything and to manage all these moving parts when you have multiple. So um, I, I would say that I was much, life was much smoother when I had the one. <laughs> So, and, uh, and yeah, I, I kind of feel that even in my own, just like coaching online, where it's like, if I'm so focused on expanding that the quality hurts, right? Like, and you always think like, okay, my product is good and people are, are getting results and they're seeing it and like, okay, let's expand this out to get, you know, more people and get be- people better experiences. But like, there's always, I feel like there's always something that you can do more to like 
really make that product better and put the cons- the customer, the, the client first. But when things are rocking like that and you're like, all right, cool, like expand to, to grow scale and then everything will just uh, kind of feed on each other. How would you foresee that you're going like that you need to focus back on quality first as opposed to expanding? Like, cause you made that mistake, right? Like that was just something that you, 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 you just went after. What would you do if you, you didn't had, had made that? Like, what would somebody, how could somebody see that they shouldn't expand first? Well, this is a relationships business, right? So like, like in fitness, it's not about, it's really not about your product. I mean, it is, but what it's really about is, is rapport that you develop with people. It's making mm-hmm. them feel at home. It's making them feel comfortable. It's showing them that you care about them personally, right? So with that in mind, what I came to realize, my objective was to make it so that the Elevate program didn't need me, that the Elevate program like grew beyond me and people just wanted to come to do the Elevate program. And I was still rewriting the programming and doing all that stuff, but it wouldn't be about me. And what, I, and what I've realized is that like, regardless of, there might be coaches that I have that people like more than me. And there might be, um, you know, there might be other people that people like really connect with, but that I am an essential part of the entire experience of Elevate. And therefore it is very hard to replicate yourself. I can't clone myself. And unless you feel that like you are not the person that makes these things go, unless you put it in a position where someone else is completely carrying that location, it's probably not a good time for you to mm. expand. Got it. Cause then you're stretching, you're, you're diluting that one finite product of yourself putting it in two places. That's exactly it. Yeah. You've been able to work on that. I've been, been able to like figure out how to get it going or is that still like a, it's a learning process. It's I mean, it's a learning process. It's, it's, it's becoming better at teaching your, your staff and your coaches. It's becoming um, it's, it's empowering other people more and being willing to like release the reins a little bit and let people take it. Um, and then at the same time, it's auditing. At the same, you know, it's coming back in and, and making sure are you really, are you really given a crap at the same level that I am because I care authentically. And the problem is caring authentically. And now it's for me, it's been six years, right? Yeah. In October, six years. Um, it's extremely hard to care authentically and put yourself 100% all in for six straight years. Like it, your, your motivation does, does wane at times. And I have to regroup and, and figure out why is my motivation flagging and, and continue to stay passionate about it. And I think a big reason that for me, when I went through a period of time where my motivation was flagging, one was when the second location was, was not doing well. Um, that for me was like, it really took an emotional toll on me. Um, obviously like taking personally almost like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like what, quite doubting yourself. Um, and, um, and also just, it took a financial toll. Um, and then I would say simultaneously, like, um, it's, it's, I was going away from the things that, that I loved. So I wasn't running enough races. I wasn't running outside and training and I was taking the classes, but, but, and we, we have to get into this fitness is it, at least race fitness, Race fitness and fitness are two different things. Like you can look jacked and buff and and you could still run at a really high speed, but like pure racing fitness requires has a requirement of getting outside and putting in run volume. 
and I wasn't doing that. And therefore, like, I never really felt like I was ready to show up to a race and dominate. And if I don't have that confidence, then it's like, it's hard for me to drag myself out to one of those things and know I'm going to get beat. And like, that's never a good feeling. So um, I had to reassess my training and, and do the things, the little things, which is going out and getting my volume work in and, and running with Mark Gaudet and letting him pound me in the sand for a little bit and, and, and remake myself as a runner. And that's made me much happier, actually, just, just getting those elements back into my life. Nice. Yeah. And I'm sure there's, there's going to be times where that happens and you're going to have to like, look back on that time where things were just feeling like shit and just recognize those, those, those markers. Do you put checks into place? And this is actually something that would pertain to the motivation that people might feel in training where like, where's your motivation? How are you feeling about it? Like, did you, do you have set times to audit yourself in terms of how you feel about the business and your fitness? Or is it just something that like things kind of culminate and kind of come to a head and you're like, okay, let me take a, a step back and look at this. I think it's, it's more of like a constant, it's a constant auditing. It's just know, always it's on top of I mean, I'm just looking at not financials every day. I'm, I'm reviewing coaches every day. I'm, I'm every, almost every day. I've, I've got a new coach in training I'm working with or someone like it. And those coaching training processes take months, months and months. So you're seeing them all the time. It's as much effort as, you know, they, they get out what they put in and they get out what you put in. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of bring it. So um, sometimes I find myself still, still neglecting certain things and I have to regroup. It's partially because I, I wear so many hats, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm, I deal with our social media person and then I'm, you know, working on our new advertising and then I'm over here training someone. And then I'm over here and I mean training, I mean training a staff member. And then I'm over here coaching three classes in a row. And then I got to get my own training in. And then, um, and then you're dealing with, you know, whatever reporters trying to do a story and you're just kind of like, you're all over the place. And, um, the thing is having full control of your business can be an awesome thing, but if you're doing everything, Right. If you're if you're trying to have your hands in every bucket, then you are probably doing a crappy job at a lot of those things. Right. And that's you know, like you're getting by, but like somebody could probably do it better than you. And like where is the point where like this is something I struggle with, where's the point where like letting go is appropriate or like making sure you're delegating in a fashion that is advantageous to everyone? It's like a hard line to figure. It's like ah, I'm good, I'm good, especially when you're in it you don't quite realize like how it could be done better. So I like that you're working on like almost a day to day. Cause that ends up being more habit based. It's like, okay, let's check, let's check, let's check, making sure it's all the same. And if you're doing it all the time, it's not like a big ordeal. So your, your finger might be on the pulse of it a little bit more. Well, um, it's trusting, it's trusted your people. And, and that took me a lot of time. Like not only did I not trust people, cause I'm just, I, it, I had to break that habit of not trusting people, but you know, like I also like, you know, you got to break your habit of like, I'm a fiery, passionate person. So like I, I can get, I'm like very positive and then I could also like, I could be down your throat. Right. So like, like, <laughs> so my staff, like they, they know this and um, you know, like I've got like my, my right-hand man, Jamel, like he was, uh, he was in the military. He served a couple tours and he's like, he responds to this kind of, of, leadership because this is what he got it's very like it's like like right out of the military it's not like a lot of like like gentle touch love like like yeah not super soft but but my staff also know like i'm i'm tough but fair you know and that's the other thing like i'm very fair and i and i will fiercely defend my people i love my my team you know it's just 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 who i am i've got a little bit of fire in me um 
And, you know, so it, it's, it's starting to, for me, like one of the big ways that I've tried to improve is like, I really try and just have a softer touch with like everything I do with my team. Yeah. And it's got to take time and that's the trust and, and, and trusting that that's going to work, right? Cause you have one style that you know would work and responds fairly well, but trusting that part and like from the outside in it's so easy i remember like thinking about like back before i started a business I was like oh it's gonna be so great to like delegate stuff and have my own business and just live this life that's gonna be mm-hmm. the entrepreneur lifestyle and it just isn't it's really hard to kind of let go and trust those things so i'm sure it's a, a constant work in progress um well cool let's talk a little bit about training because yes. you were one of the straight up ogs do you consider i mean you wrote the book on this shit <laughs> and so you've been doing it a long time and and you mentioned volume really quick, but I, and I'm, I'm interested to hear some of the things that you're kind of focused on now, but like kind of in the same vein of the question of like talking to an aspiring gym owner, like if you had to go back and talk to a younger you who was just getting into the sport, how would you, what would you tell yourself about like how to focus on your training? Would you change anything or would you immediately be like, okay, all the stuff you're doing, stop doing it and focus somewhere else. Don't neglect your running volume. Don't neglect it. Get back to your running volume. When, when I came into obstacle racing, I ran a couple races for funsies. And then I was like, this isn't like a serious thing. Like I'm just having fun. Like 2011, like I'm just having fun. And then I got really into running because of it. Like actually like my first Spartan race was like the thing that got me back into running. Like I started training the next day. And then by the end of that year, I had already started running marathons. And I was really into that. Um, and, and I wasn't necessarily running like training correctly for marathon. Um, but I was running a lot of miles and mm-hmm. I built up this great aerobic base. And then I get into Spartan. I start actually racing and I'm running less and I'm doing a lot more strength work too. And a lot more speed doing a lot of speed and a lot of hill work and not running the same volume. And I encountered like immediate success. Like I was just like, faster than most of the guys out there right out of the gates and, and I could grind and, um, and it went really exceedingly well. And then I kept training the same way for like years, a couple years. And what I found was slowly, but surely I was coming back down a little bit. And, and I think what I had done was I built this amazing aerobic base over like a year and a half of just running a ton of volume. And then I was relying on that aerobic base mm-hmm. as I trained a lot of speed and a lot of hills. And, um, and I never really continued to build that aerobic base. And because of that, um, it slowly, I slowly lost it. And so I had to rebuild it. Um, and, and that's what happened in 2018. I started to rebuild. I had a back injury and I wasn't able to like lift weights or, or do much in the gym gym for a few months. I spent like three months just running volume and I got up to, you know, between 70 and 80 ish miles a week. Nice. Um, and then all of a sudden I was I'm fast again, you know, it's amazing how that works. Uh, and then you throw your workouts, you start doing your speed again. And it's like, Oh my God, I'm getting even faster. Like that, that is what I say is like, I look at like the aerobic base work and the high volume running is like, just like we used to do it in the off season before cross country season, like you'd run all summer and you just run like long, slow distance, like all summer long and just build your base, build your base, build your base. That's the glue that allows everything else to stick. Then you go and you do a hill repeats workout and that just sticks and you do some speed work or some threshold and it just sticks. 
And without that that glue that is the aerobic base, those workouts just don't stick as well, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a way to absorb the training as opposed to just like completing the training. Yeah. You, you recover better. Uh, you can handle a lot. You can handle more intensity too if your volume is high, um, where instead of like just running yourself into the ground. And do you think that when, when the, the competition started to like catch up in terms of the results, do you feel like it was just a, like that you neglected it or was the competition, were they training in a way that the volume, that their fo- focus was the volume? Like, what do you, how do you foresee that? Like, was there a changing in how people trained or was it just that yours kind of came back down? Uh, I think it was a combination because my fitness definitely worsened um, over like 2014, 2015. Um, in part, I was running the gym. I just didn't have the time to train. Yeah. And that's why I stopped running outside as much. I just didn't have the time. But you need to take the stuff that I was doing in the gym and you combine that with the volume. And it's like, man, now you can be truly, really, really friggin' fast. I mean, like, you know, I'm doing that right now. And I'm I'm faster than I was in high school right now, which is insane. Um, you were fast and, in high school. Or like sub-16 yeah, guy. Yeah. 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 You have a running – you're running faster than that now? I'm running faster than that right now. I mean, I ran a net. I ran a net downhill 5K, so it's kind of cheating, a little bit cheating. Um, a few three weeks ago, I ran 15:38, but it was oh. net down. It was cheating, net net downhill. I know it's not fast for you, but for me, no, that's, that's really fast. That's fast for anybody. So, like, that's that's legit, man. And so, like, and th- do you say that that's mostly because of the volume, or how are are you just kind of building up? Because right now you're training for a marathon, right? And like. What was what was behind that thought? Was it be like okay, if I'm doing a marathon, like my volume has to go up, or was it <laughs> I want to see what I'm going to do on the marathon? Um, yeah, I mean, I, basically, what happened was I got a, I got re- someone reached out to me and said like we we're we're running this charity race for at the New York City Marathon, mm-hmm. and um, do you want to interview for it? So I interviewed for it and I got in, and I was like, okay. I always said, like, I'm never doing a marathon again. I hate these things. Like, I hate marathons. It's just too far for me. I think I just I just run great for like 18 miles and then explore. <laughs> it's it's easy until it's really not. What was it's your? Easy uh, until it's awful. What was your? What's your previous PR in a, in a marathon? I've run two. In my first marathon, I was just testing the water. So I was like, I'm gonna run like 3:15, and then I'm out there and I was running and I was on pace for like 2:50 six or something and then i i hit the wall at mile 21 and ran 305 i did the and my second i did the exact same thing on my first almost exactly like i was just at 305 i was like i'm gonna run 250 and then i started running i was like all right i'm running like 238 pace like magic like it was gonna work that one day and then just completely fell apart so yeah i went and did another marathon and i was pacing a friend of mine who her name stacy albuquerque she's actually She's run at Olympic trials like four times. Oh, wow. And uh, so she's kind of like one of my running mentors. And um, she – so I was pacing her to try and qualify one more time for Olympic trials. She's like 43 or 44 years old at that time. And uh, we ran the Miami Marathon. We got a lineup with the elites. It was pretty cool to get a lineup with like all the Ethiopians and the Kenyans. And uh, and then the gun goes off and and I just didn't feel right that day. And I ended up, uh, we came through the half marathon slow. We were trying to run 246. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I just, again, mile 18, I just hit the wall, just blew up. And I ran like 311. Like I limped, I was cramping. I was like a mess. And I was just like, I'm done with these. Like I don't want to do this anymore. And now here we go. Yeah. We're doing it again. And 
And people are like, well, how fast do you want to go? And I'm like, well, you know what? If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So I'm shooting for sub 240. And then it, I became aware that uh, 238 is sub six-minute mile pace. And I said, well, that seems like a fun goal. Like to be able to say for the rest of your life, you ran a marathon in sub six. Um, pretty serious. So yeah, screw it, man. We're going for Let's it. Go. So I've done, a, I've done a lot of 50, 60, 70-mile weeks for the last – four months and and is the focus specifically marathon or are you still trying to stay like obstacle course race ish sharp or like trying not sharp trying to keep some maintenance work in there like how are you balancing strength work and everything in there i, I for a while i was doing well i have to film all these elevated home workouts so oh, right. like you know i was doing like an hour a day of body weight workouts on top of 60 miles a week of training so i was training what's 60 miles a week like is that six and a half hours of running a week and then on or seven hours of running a week. And then on top of that, I was doing, you know, seven hours of body weight workouts a week. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was getting plenty of strength in, you know, body weight workout is plenty of strength. If you're, if you're like, I'm a hundred and almost 90 pounds. Right. So, so I'm a a pretty hefty runner. And so for me, like the strength required for an obstacle race is minimal strength training. Like for me, it's about the running. I need to get the running down and I need to work on grip. So I do a lot of workouts still. Like I did one this past week, which was like, um, you know, not heavy deadlifts, but not light. And I did like 225. I was doing deadlifts into um, 125 pound dead ball over the shoulders. I was doing five, five, and then five pull-ups. And I was doing, and then a brief rest. And so that's a lot of grip. That's a ton, a ton of grip. And I was doing that because it's support grip into essentially you have to crush grip mm-hmm. the or pinch grip the bag and then into support grip again on the bar mm-hmm. on the, the pulp bar so i was doing i did 10 rounds of that as like a supplementary after a 10 mile tempo run and then you know it's like you're you're just trying to to find ways to maintain i want to get no bigger i'm actually trying to shrink so I'd, I'd like to lose 10 more pounds of muscle so it's it's but but you know but i have to work the little things so you know, we're working on grip. Mark and I did our own version of uh, John Yatsko's dog loop workout recently. Not familiar. And What's that a, one? It's a it's a running and it's a carries and running workout. So we found a there's a there's a big hill by my house around a school. It's a half mile loop, and uh, which we did was we took two two fifty three pound kettlebells each, and you go up the hill. The hill's like fifteen percent incline, and you go as far as you can take it until you have to put it down. And when you put it down, you have to run back to the beginning, turn around, run back to the weights, pick them up, carry them as far as you can, run back. So the runs get longer and longer and longer. And uh, and so, you know, that's a good one where you just like you're hammering your legs, you're hammering your grip, and, you know, you're running hard. You're running as hard as you can during the runs. Um, but, you know, so we're doing workouts like that to try and supplement. But for me, it's like, a lot of this is just like volume training. Like Mark and I went and did uh, the, uh, I think it was Algonquin Park Trail. It's like from Bull Run Park to Fountainhead Park. It was an 18 mile technical and non-technical trail running. Uh, we set the FKT on that a week and a half ago, and uh, and then I did three hour a three hour training run at Mount Catoctin Park this past weekend, this past Saturday, and then this Saturday we're going for the fastest known time on the Mount Vernon Trail, mm. which is eighteen miles. Another eighteen. So, it's the same kind of thing, like yeah. some technical, some flat. This one's going to be paved. Oh, nice. So it's going to be. So it's this will be like. 
yeah, we're going to roll. This will be the fast one. I haven't done uh, – I have not run a tempo this long in a long time. I've done like 15, maybe 16. This is 18. It's going to be It's going to be brutal, I think. What pace you got to shoot for? I think we got to go like 630 okay. pace, uh, which is, which is I think, very manageable. If it wasn't the summertime, I wouldn't be concerned. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I, I sweat a lot. And so I'm worried that my 500 milliliters of water that I'm carrying is not going to be enough. <laughs> might not cut it um, that day. It might not, but it's, it's what we got. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be – that's going to be an adventure. And, and I guess when you can put – when you post this, you can put an update of whether we got it or not because that's in three days. Totally. Nice. Uh, um, yeah, I'm curious because the like carrying the extra muscle. I mean, like there's a, there's definitely a a trade off, right, for like power to weight ratio and and like you said, in terms of where your strength is for obstacle course racing, like your 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 strength has to far exceed what you actually need, right? Like yeah, yeah. Like people go to the tire flip and they're like, oh, it's so hard, and I'm like, I I don't understand how this is hard. Yeah, for any for me, that's a grip thing. Like when it's wet, that's the problem. It's never like the actual lift of the the thing it's a matter of just like yeah. where am i gonna get my hands in there um but like so where i'm curious to see what your opinion is on this like where do you think like the line is for how strong is strong enough for say somebody who is maybe an age group competitor who's just kind of getting into sports or is, or is new to strength training like how strong do you actually need to be for this like do you have any idea as far as like what a deadlift number should be how many pull-ups you should be able to do what it, I mean, if you can do 50, if you can do fifteen unbroken pull ups, you're plenty strong enough. Like honestly, like that seems like a number that's fine. If you can deadlift two twenty five, three hundred, just call just call two seventy five. That's plenty. That's plenty. I mean, you don't like all these guys are going out trying to deadlift five hundred pounds. Like, listen, man, I, I used to lift some crazy weights. I played when I was playing college football. I was friggin' massive. I used to I used to put uh, five hundred pounds on a on a hex bar on a trap bar. And power shrug sets of like 12 huh. with that. Like, yeah, I was a very big boy. Uh, that is irrelevant strength. It does nothing for you. All these vanity muscles, getting under the bar and bench pressing. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, you don't need this. And, you know, if you want to get strong, just do, you know, I got a great workout. You want to do chest? Okay. It's uh, six rounds of 100 push-ups every 10 minutes. Yeah. Have at it. Yeah. You got one hour to get 600 push-ups in. Good luck. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's a much better OCR workout than bench pressing. Totally. More more functional what you're going to be able to use and moving your body weight and everything under fatigue. Um, yeah. So how do you think you're going to go? Because losing muscle, like losing fat's one thing, right? And I'm sure you see it in, in, in the clients they help. Like you can lose fat relatively sustainable. Muscle, not as much. It's kind of hard to, to – It's hard. It's kind of hard. Once you get – once you slap that on there, it's hard to put it on. Um, at, over the years, but once it's time to 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 get rid of it, it's freaking hard. So you just kind of like hoping you run it off, or what are you thinking in terms of like how to get that where you need it to be? It's working. I got to stop eating so much ice cream. But <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> the actual muscles coming off. I mean, I've dropped. I'd say my biceps are probably an inch smaller than they were. Really? <laughs> like I'm lo- I'm losing some muscle like crazy because of all the running and and not doing a ton of lifts. I do a lot of pull ups. Like I still do a, a couple pull up workouts a week. I, I want to maintain that strength. So, um, you know, I got one I really like, which is for 30 minutes you do 10 pull ups every 90 seconds. That's a pretty good one. Um, that gets really hard mm-hmm. and that'll make you that'll make you pretty strong. I got another one I do where I do. Uh, I've got one at my, when I visit my parents, at, uh, they've got a place on a lake and there's a monster hill that's like 20% incline that you run 
up about 70 yards, do 10 pull-ups, and then do another 150 yards up that same incline, keep going. So it's in the middle of the hills. It's really effective. Um, I do 10 rounds of that usually. Um, so like little little things. But I say I like to work it more into um, my – like if you want it to be functional for – actually functional for racing, you need to be able to use those muscles and activate them when you're just wiped out. So like I do another workout, I do um, uh, I do 100 calories on the air bike, 25 pull-ups, and I'll do like six rounds of that. Hmm. That's a really good one for like dis- you will trash your your upper body, but you will trash your legs too. Right, and be working under fatigue. Yeah, working under severe fatigue. Yeah. Um, and so what are you what are you doing? I'm just curious about this too. What are you doing for footwear? Like I'm thinking about a marathon as well, and now that footwear is such a thing like everyone's like obsessed about the shoes i'm like am i doing myself a disservice if i don't get like one of these 250 dollars pairs of shoes how you been holding up on that stuff uh i i buy uh i buy last year's models uh uh, nike pegasus (laughs) (laughs) those are like the best i remember i had the oh pegasus like oh three in high school and i was like this is the greatest running shoe i've ever had i was like i've used them forever I've always run in Pegasus. I've run in Pegasus for a long time. I used to run in Asics. I used to wear like the gel Cayeno, and then they changed the way they build the shoe, and it stopped working for me. It started hurting my arches. And uh, but Nikes have I've been consistently good for me. And you know, for a while when I was having calf injuries, I was running in literally like Nike Freeze. It was just like not enough support. Uh-oh. So so the Pegasus has been better for me. I started at the Vomero, and then I found the Pegasus was very much the same shoe and a little lighter and. Um, and they're half the price yeah. because I buy them. I, I get them for like $62. I get like the, the 36s. You'll and, always find a pair of Pegasus for like last year's model for sure. Yeah, it's, it's great. So I use those. I just bought a pair of Hoka's. I actually haven't worn them yet. I think it was the ring cone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to test those out. And then I, I wear, I do a lot of trail running too. So so I have Pegasus trail. I was running in the uh, Terra Tigers. Mm-hmm. Uh, those I liked, but the Pegasus is much, much more um, support, especially like it doesn't have a rock plate, but the cushioning is way, 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 way better. Um, and and as far as like trail shoes, like I also run in like the the Scott Super Track RCs. I really like those a lot. Um, and before that, it was like, you know, I, you know, trail runs I would do in like Solomon's, like Speed Cross, yeah, yeah. but you can't, you can't race in those. It's just, it's just way too much shoe. And yeah, there's a lot that I've learned about the trail, the trail shoe. I just thought like any trail shoe would do. And now it's like, oh, you need one for mud. You need one for racing. And you need one for like different different, different technical pieces because I was always Roadrunner. So I was like, I don't know. This is a trail shoe. This should be fine. And like I just end up yeah. falling like crazy. If I'm running like a really rocky training run, then I like like this past weekend when I was at Mount Catoctin, like there's a two-mile stretch where you're just picking on like sharp rocks like the whole time. It's kind of miserable. I was the first two miles of each lap. And I remember on my first lap, I was like, I'm so unhappy that I have to do this a second time. <laughs> um, and um, it's it's one of those things where like, if you had like a Solomon speed cross, you'd be like, my feet are fine. Like those are great. Like I ran the death race in the speed cross and my feet were like fine. Um, but if you are trying to go fast through like a trail, it's like smoother, you know, I would highly recommend looking Pegasus trails too thick for that. Right. You'd probably go with a Terra Tiger mm-hmm. or you'd go with, I know a lot of guys like the VJs. Yeah. I've never actually tried the VJs, but the Scott super track RC I loved because you could run some rockier terrain with it. It didn't have a rock plate, but it's thicker cushion. It's still light. It drains well. 
Um, it ran well on sand. It ran well in mud. It ran well on dr- gravel. So I, I really like the, the versatility of that shoe. So you're not going to go find yourself some 4%, some some uh, Vaporfly True. things for the marathon? I, um, dude, I think I have to, right? If we're going for this That's marathon. what I'm saying. That's I was like, do I need to get these shoes? Because I was like, I need some. Oh, I think I do. <laughs> I definitely need to get the shoes. Now I need to figure out how to get those shoes. I was, they're impossible. They're impossible. Like I was looking on and I – Someone was telling me that the newer ones, whatever they're called, the really wacky looking ones, are going to be available to the public, like in running stores, in August at some point. So, I like, I need it. I feel like I need it. I think I heard. Um, I think it was. I think it was Adidas. Did they come out with an equivalent? Salcony. Salcony does. Brooks? They have like the endorphin. Brooks has one that I heard is not great. Um, the Saucony one is supposed to be okay, but it's like the proprietary foam that Nike has that no other company has. Hoka has one too, the Carbon X. Like, so they all have, sh- they all have these, all these companies have ones that have these carbon fiber plates in them, but the foam that Nike has, no one else has. And that's like what's doing it for people. So, because apparently, right, it's, it's the way that it redistributes the energy like back right into your leg and propels you forward. Like, it's crazy. And supposedly, you don't even feel like you're run- like you run, like your legs don't get trashed. <laughs> so, like, at the end of a run, you're just like, Okay, I can keep going. You're like, I feel good. So I'm like, yeah, exactly. You're not taking the absorption yourself. Yeah. So I was like, I need a pair of these. If I'm doing a marathon on a road, I would prefer to have this than have my feet fall apart. So that's what I'm worried about, like my feet and ankles and stuff. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's my it's my my soleus and my gastrox. Like they just get demolished. The rest of me, I feel like my quads can take any amount of beating, and they're okay in 24 hours. You know, mm-hmm. like the, my calves, man. That's that's. I'm a big guy running on these little calves. That's what I worry about. <laughs> um, yeah, so that'll be, that'll be fun to see. It'll be interesting to, to follow that journey if you, if you can make it there. And we were talking a little bit before about like trying to figure out what to do for a race. So we'll stay tuned on where to actually get this thing in. Um, but I've got a plan. Like I think I'm mapping out a course that I like on our own, but we got to find out how to get it certified. That's our thing. What is that process like? Have you Do you even know? Have you looked into that at all? No, I was going to reach out to like representatives at what, like, do you, do you reach out to like USATF? Who do you, who do you reach out to? I don't to? know. I, I have some friends who are like race directors. I could, I could f- try to get some information because I've never done anything inside of a race, but I'm with, like, that'd be great to have a small group. Just do it. What, what's the course looking like? Is it going to be point to point or are you thinking? I'm thinking point to point because um, I'm looking at a course that has a slight net downhill in the opening half marathon. Mm. And and then is flat and doesn't end with like having to go back running right. net uphill in the second half. Like I'd like it to be flat the rest of the way. Um, so so for me, I'm looking at like a in DC area. There's like a capital. This is trail that runs next to the CNO Canal, so it's essentially flat. Uh, capital Crescent Trail, and it's mostly straight. Essentially flat. If we go at like six in the morning. We can beat the heat and we can, well, we won't even be heat by then. Yeah. We do it, but we can beat, we can beat the sun. We can beat all the cyclists right there, which is the big thing. We want to be out there before the cyclists. Yeah. Cause I know, cause I've, <laughs> the second marathon I did was actually on an open course. It was somewhere on like the Eastern shore in Maryland. It was ridiculously small and like the course was just open. So it doesn't need to be a closed course to be certified. Right. I, I wonder if no, someone has no, to come no, out and no, look no. at it or if it's, if we could just send them a Strava segment. It's like, yeah, it's this. And I'm just trying to find a place that like one, I don't want to like, I don't want to run into like a 12% incline somewhere in the middle of this race, right? right? Like that's, I, I don't mind running a hill, but I mind like running like something that like really takes my running economy and destroys it. And then I'm wrecked for the next mile. And I don't want a, a really windy place. So like 
people were like, you could run laps at this place called Haynes Point in DC, where a lot of cyclists do like three and a half mile loops. And we're like, we could just do a bunch of loops. But when you come around the turn there, you have a section where you got a massive tailwind. And then you have a section where it's a massive headwind. And I can tell you, headwind is like the last thing that I'm looking for. When Mark and I did the, uh, the ultra virus 12 hour, we had a loop that we were like, this loop is so fast. It's just like an out and back. And we were like, it's so flat. We're just cooking. And then what happened was a wind, massive winds picked up, like like 25 mile an hour winds. And so on the way out, you're like, I feel like a million bucks. And then you turn around and you run into a 25 mile an hour wind for two and a half miles. And it just no. breaks you. That sucks. I get, I get actually angry. Like I have like a visceral reaction when I get hit in the face with wind, like in the winter, yes. I'm like, motherfucker. I was like, I like every time it happens, I'm like, why do I live here? Why do I live in this place? I hate this. I hate this wind, but I'm not, yes, it's so why I hate the cold. I hate the wind. This is such bullshit. What am I doing? Um, so, in the summer, I'm like, I hate the sun. <laughs> yeah. It's getting to that point now where it's like, oh my God, every day, does it have to be every day. Um, every day. Sun comes out every freaking day. So yeah, that'll be fun. And, and Mark showed me the, the course that you had laid out for the 10 miler too, because that's going to be part of the process Ooh, too, yeah. right? Doing the virtual uh, army 10 miler. It looks good, right? It looks really good. Cause we have one up here called broad street, which is legit like a net downhill. Like it's straight point to point all a little bit down pretty much the entire way. And it's so fast. Um, so it's hard to replicate. It's almost like you have a 10 mile PR and then you have like a broad street PR, but the one that you have out there, it looks solid. It's kind of the same deal. Yeah, it's gonna be good, and it's and it's essentially it's like it's like a slightly like a half a percent downhill, maybe not even maybe like a quarter of a percent downhill for like five miles, and then it flattens for five. Mm. It's just it seems like you know like you can hit the halfway point and not be trashed, and then be like, all right, let's let's kick it up a notch. So is, is Mark going to do these? Like when I talked to him, he was like, if he's listening, I don't know, but we'll talk to him later. But he's saying he might do some absurd race like try to run 125 miles in like half mile increments or something like i don't he hasn't talked to me about that what i know is that he got like he got a invite to try out for team usa ultra running it's like which a 24 hour team or a 100 mile team i think it's the 24 hour team yeah they have 24 hours and he has to run 135 miles so (laughs) i said you're on your own buddy you got because that's you know what he's gonna sucker me into it it's gonna be ridiculous because he suckered me into ultra virus we were just out for a run that week we were out for a run on the thursday and we ran like um, you know like 10 miles together that day and i was up to i i i would have had a uh i believe i would have had like a 60 ish mile week that week um and he convinced me to do the ultravirus, maybe 55-mile week that week. I'm not sure. Up there, pretty good mileage week is what I was on pace for. And over the course of the previous seven days, I had run really good volume. And um, and he goes, yeah, I'm running this thing. Can you pace me for some of it? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, he's like, how many miles do you do? I was like, yeah, you know, like 30, 35 miles. I got you, buddy. Like, no worries. And then uh, we go to go do it. And I was like, I might as well just sign up. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be doing it that long. Yeah. And then, and then of course the plan was still for me to just pace him. So I ran with him for 32 miles and then I, my, my IT bands locked up and he took off and I slowed down. And then it was like, for me, that was like five hours into the day or whatever it was, you know? And then it was like, all right, 35 miles in, I'm like, I'm at five, five hours ish or something, something along those lines. And, um, and I go, okay, well, now I got to have a rest of my day. I've blown up already. 
And now I have to, you know, just kind of power through the rest of the next seven hours, which ended up being <laughs> just terrible. Uh, so he's going to sucker me into it, I'm sure. We'll see. How many miles did you get on that week then? Did you get to 100 that week with the, with the ultravirus? I got 100 and, uh, 111, 112. Nice. I think, that week. <laughs> nice. Take that. It's, it's, my, it's a lot of miles. Um, well, cool, man. I'm glad that you're, you're putting the miles again. You're going to try to hit this marathon. Um, I think it'll be fun. And I think it's cool if like, we can get something rolling. Um, cause I'm, I'm with you. I'm on the same boat. It's like, all right, let's just get volume up for the sake of doing volume, see what happens and just go after yeah, it. And, vir- and virtual race and FKTs. And like, like, listen, like, this is the thing I'm telling people like, yeah, like traditional racing isn't happening this year, but lots of other stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like I find like we're, we're, we're finding ways to make it fun. Like we have a Strava group for, for elevate and you know, people will like take turns trying to beat each other's distance over the course of a week. Oh, cool. And you know, You'll see guys will like post, take a run and post it on Instagram. And then they'll, they'll tag uh, somebody else and they'll be like, Hey, it's your turn to do this run or whatever. Or, or they'll do, uh, or they're doing weekly five Ks and they're racing each other every single week. Or they're doing, um, the other thing we're doing is, is, you know, people are competing for the crown of like the most miles mm-hmm. in this particular week. So, so like, you know, one week I was having a down week. And one of one of my athletes, he he did a run at like eight thirty p.m. and he got like 0. 0.4 miles more than me for the week. It was Sunday night, and and I didn't even realize till like ten thirty at night. So I like got got my shoes on and went out for like a ten thirty p.m. run just to do like a mile just to get more than him for the end of the week. Like like we're finding ways to like kind of be competitive and have fun. Yeah. You know, just because you can't race doesn't mean you're not racing. And doesn't mean you can't be fit. Doesn't mean you can't better yourself. You know, like that's ultimately what we're doing here anyway, is just figuring out how to be better versions of ourselves athletically and, yeah. and mentally. And we can do that no matter what. It's like having a race is a nice goal to aim for, but that's not necessarily why, we, why we're doing this in the first place. Well, and that's it. So like, you know, like when I ran this three hours in Catoctin Mountain this past weekend, like it felt like... I was getting up in the morning and getting ready to go do a race. Yeah. And then all I was doing was I drove a car of a few friends out there and we, we ran each at our own pace for, you know, 60 or I think it was technically my GPS did not pick up. Well, it should have been like 17 or 18 miles, but, um, and then you finish and everyone is like cheering for each other when they finish. And then y'all crack a beer and Dang it was up. like, same deal. Yeah. That was, it was great. It felt Awesome. I felt the same community vibes that I was getting from like when I finish a race and I have a beer with my friends finishing a race. And I felt really satisfied, even though I didn't race, I just ran. It it was good to just get new trails and just explore. This is an opportunity for people that I think like all of these things are opportunities. You can go out, you can find new trails, you can build your 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 endurance, you can go and do the little things that like you couldn't do before. Like one of the reasons I think I lost a lot of my fitness was I was racing so frequently that I was, that I was tapering and recovering all the time. And now you have a year where you're not tapering and you're not recovering. You're just running, you're just training. And like, you're going to come in next year. You're going to be a frigging monster. So like embrace it. If you're training, if you're one of those people that's slacking off right now, like shame on you, but like, this is the time, man. It's go time. I can't imagine like, because that's the feeling, right? If there's no races coming up, then it's like, okay, I got to gear up for when my season starts. But like, it's, that's not like that this year. You have this opportunity to really do something special with your fitness and like just train and train and train. So you got to go after it. And that's the thing is like, so like when I think about like the best races I've ever run, they have been because I've had 
uh, like a, a race, an event, like up on my bulletin board for like a really long time. Right. It's nine months out, right? A year out. And I'm like, this is my fucking race. Like I remember my senior year of high school. Uh, it was from the day after championships my junior year for cross country. Championships my senior year was the only thing I dreamed of. Huh. And and for a year I trained and chased that race and then won a championship. And And it's like when you have – something that eats at you that you're training for, for a year straight. Like I have my marathon, man. Now, now I'm chasing New York marathon 2021. You know how fit I'm going to be if I stay healthy, right? Like it's going to be crazy. It's going to be insane. I'm, I will not be surprised if you see the majority of guys that we race with fitter than they've ever been this coming year. I'm hoping so. I mean, I, I feel like that's what the sport needs is have it, have people take that up and have these results get taken up a notch. So and it seems like people are taking it pretty serious from what I've seen. I guess it depends on how long this is going to drag out, but people's mindset seems to be wrapped around getting fit and going after it. Yeah, man. Um, well, cool, dude. Well, I don't take up your whole day. I do appreciate you popping on. I know you got a bunch of stuff going on. So uh, where can people find you in terms of socials or uh, the website for the for the biz? Yeah, man. Um, so first of all, if you want to check out the studio, if you want to try our online workouts, you can go to www.trainatelevate.com. There you can try out really any of our programming. You can try our live programming. We've got a couple of live ones you could purchase classes for if you don't want to do the on-demand. Um, and you can also come and obviously visit the studios. Um, our Instagram handle is at train at Elevate. Mm-hmm. And then you can find me at David Makita, M-A-G-I-D-A. Um, you can find my book. You want to buy my book? It's an author. Uh, it's, yeah, man. Listen to this. This is the pitch. Okay. You can find that my book, The Essentials of Obstacle Race Training, A Beginner's Guide, on Amazon, Books A Million, through my publisher, Human Kinetics, or wherever fine books are sold. In how many languages? In at least two languages. <laughs> English I know and it's in German. It so those t- of you, if you have a big German listener base, you guys can actually get it in German. That's great. That's great for them. I'm sure they are rejoicing there. That's awesome. Well, cool, man. I'll make yeah. sure to link all the stuff in the show notes so people can get it pretty easy. So again, I appreciate you popping on, dropping knowledge, and uh, I'll hit stop here. We'll stay on, but um, that's just us signing off. All right. Thanks for having me on. All right. Later.